Welcome to the Centre for Personalised Medicine podcast, where we explore the promises and pitfalls of personalised medicine and ask questions about the ethical and societal challenges it creates. I'm Rachel Horton and I'm here with Gabby Samuel and in today's episode we're looking at why the same genetic finding can mean different things in different people. We caught up with Professor Annika Lukasen, Director of the Centre for Personalised Medicine, at a recent workshop to ask us some questions about this. Annika's research aims to support improved delivery of genomic medicine to people and families. Annika, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello. Could we ask um, you to talk us through a couple of examples where the same genetic finding might mean different things in different people? Yes. I wondered if I could start by thinking about an analogy. This just came to me this morning as I was coming here, which is that if you think about certain words, they have different meanings in different settings. So think of a word like dear. You could hear the word and think you know what the meaning is, but it depends all about where it is in a sentence as to what its meaning is. It could be a noun or an adjective. It could be dear Rachel, or it could be that dress is very dear, or it could be about an animal um, galloping around in the park. So the word alone doesn't stand by itself. It's in a context that gives it meaning, and it's exactly the same for genetic variants. And so a really obvious example might be that if you have a variant in a BRCA1 or 2 gene, the BRCA gene, that that has greater significance if you're male or female. So the the greatest risks that those variants give you is cancer of the breast and ovary, and if you're a man, you don't have ovaries. So that's an obvious example of the context in which that finding is found making a big difference. You talk about, say, um, the male and female mm. distinction, but like, what other types of distinctions would, would I suppose, uh, okay. geneticists need to think about? So all, all sorts of contexts, you know, stage of your life, so a particular um, genetic variant might be significant if you're thinking about reproductive options, and obviously if you're an 80-year-old, that's not the same um, sort of context, but we, I think, should be thinking about genetic variants as depending on a lot of other factors rather than standing alone, the sort of textbook GC description of genetics is of the, you know, the variant is it and nothing else matters but actually we know now that it depends, for most variants it depends very much on the genetic background in which they lie so it might depend on your recent ancestry but also on the environmental factors that you've been exposed to or just the random factors that you've been exposed to like your immune repertoire and things like that. That's such an interesting analogy actually like the word dear but without the words around it how can you know what it means and I suppose and getting that context of what a kind of genetic finding really means when you can only, in a way, say that word. Yeah, finding ways to communicate the other words in the sentence is really tough. Can we talk a bit about how um, the meaning of the finding might depend on on why a person had a test? Because I guess we've alluded to that a bit with if you found someone was a carrier, but they're, um, you know, in their 80s, it might have different meanings. But there's also... Some things mean different things, don't they? If if you find them in someone who doesn't have a family history, or yeah, something like that. I think that's and that's also a point that's really often missed. So, and I think partly that's a, it's got a historical explanation that the only genetic testing that was available until very recently was on a very carefully selected subset of the population, i.e. Uh, members of the population who had signs and symptoms of something that made you suspect a particular variation in a gene. So you went looking at that gene to see whether you could find it or not. And so you really just, you honed in on a particular subgroup. 
And what we thought from that was, okay, now we need to spread out and find the other people who haven't got the signs and symptoms. But it turns out that actually if you find those people, it doesn't predict the same thing, that genetic variant, as it did in the group where you first looked at, because they'd already shown signs of that variant. Increasingly, we are finding those variants in healthy people and realise that they're not as strong or as predictive of the condition in question as we thought when we used that targeted approach. That's really interesting because I've actually started reading a lot about that, right, about the fact that we are finding these variants in healthy populations, which means that they can't or may less so be relevant for the particular disease. Mm. And it makes me think about how quickly we're moving with genetic technologies and trying to bring them into practice when we know so little about them. And yeah, yeah. Just wondering how, I suppose, your work kind of reflects on that aspect. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. It's really interesting how... Um, the discourse around the advances in technology has taken hold of our attention and we we like to think about genetics as as an example of technology that's really producing fantastic results and in many ways it is but it's it's almost just like the bottleneck has shifted so we had a bottleneck of technology where we couldn't do the testing and so we thought that once that that was solved it would all be straightforward actually now we've got to the interpretation stage we've got all this the technology producing all this data and we suddenly realize that actually the context matters so much that if you find um, you know as one example of a particular type of diabetes that we thought had a really high in, if you had that variant that you had a sort of 80 90 percent chance of developing diabetes in your lifetime and actually now if you look at it in big biobank populations that are doing genetic testing on a on a general population rather than selecting because of signs and symptoms then the chance is probably something like 10 percent. so that's just such a good example of how context matters and where it's clearly the genetic environment and the other environmental factors that are affecting what that variant does and so it's I think really important to be aware of that because we've come across this very much in this expanding area of direct consumer testing where people think if they have the test it will tell them what they're at risk of that's just a really good example of how if you're finding something in a different setting it doesn't predict the same thing yet if you act on those findings in the usual way of chemo prevention, uh, regular screening at an early age, or sometimes very drastic surgery of removing your breasts and your ovaries, when that risk isn't the same, that clearly has deleterious consequences that we need to think about. And I remember you telling me a, a, a story of a, of a patient that you had about that. Mm. Do you want to talk a little bit more about yeah, that? Yeah, uh, not just me. Lots of around the country, lots of people have found that now, where direct consumer testing buys you a kit for say finding out your recent ancestry you can find out how much Spanish blood you've got and uh, how much Neanderthal is in your DNA which is very interesting and I think you can buy that for somewhere between 50 and 100 pounds or cheaper on Black Friday (laughs) Um, and what and that tells you about your ancestry but some people are are then following adverts saying oh we'll also analyze your DNA for health consequences and one of the things that they then do is look for things like the BRCA1 BRCA2 gene and report variants in that so I had a patient who had come to me saying she wanted her breasts removed and her ovaries removed as a preventative measure because her direct consumer test had shown a BRCA variant and when we tried to confirm that in an NHS laboratory it just wasn't there first of all we thought there'd been a sample mix-up or we thought that 
it might be a, a relative sample. And then we realised actually that this was quite widely known in the sort of academic world that the particular tests used to do the ancestry testing relied on recognising common variants, multiple common variants, and they were really bad at calling rare variants, and they miscalled rare variants. So they had a false positive rate of calling BRCA1 variants of, I think, something like 85 to 90%. And that's just not what people expect. They expect the technology to be accurate. But again, the context of the technology matters. Here we had a technology that was identifying common things, really bad at identifying and actually miscalling rare variants rather than missing them. No, it's interesting because it sounds like context matters at so many levels. I mean, I suppose at the one level there's the technology context and was the technology used good enough that you're sure that what you're talking about in the genetic code is actually really there mm. if you measured it in that person with the best technology? But also, it, in some ways, the more difficult question of if it is there, what does it mean for the clinical context yeah. of that person? And yes. I think personalised medicine often is, in a way, you think if you've got the genetic code, that's your medicine personalised, whereas almost it's like, what do you need to do around that code to make it really clear what that means? Like, choose your first example, whether it's dear Rachel or, oh, I just saw a deer. Do you have any thoughts as to how we could communicate that more clearly? Well, my answer to that would be that we really need to get more familiar with the amount of variation and noise in the genetic code and and be aware that our first glimpses into it were a very sort of skewed glimpse and that all the discourse around that of making diagnoses of rare diseases is fantastic in bringing support for genomics and recognition that it can play an important role but we also now need to look at all the people in, say, the 100,000 Genomes Project that didn't get a diagnosis because it's just too complex to recognise how the variation in their genetic code has an impact on, on their disease. And I think if you sequence a whole genome, you're going to find about 100,000 rare variations in your genetic code. And a rare variation was in the past something that we thought was a pretty good indication of a diagnosis. Now, we can't have 100,000 diagnoses each, that's, that's very obvious, but I think the discourse around genetics just doesn't recognise that, um, that there's that amount of variation, and that when you start with a genetic code, it's so much harder to predict what's going to result from that genetic code than if you start with a set of signs and symptoms and you use the genetic code to confirm a clinical diagnosis that you've made. And I think that has really important consequences for thinking about programmes like newborn screening, because there you are endeavouring to predict what's going to happen to children when they're just born that have no signs or symptoms at all yet, and you're trying to say, well, your genetic code shows you're going to develop this in the future. And for a very small proportion of children, you're going to be able to do that well. But for the vast majority, more than 99% of children that you screen like that, you're not going to be able to make any clear predictions. And I think that might run very counter to expectations. So I think we need to pay lots of attention to the conversations we have around this. And that's why I think podcasts like this are so important. I just think it's so fascinating because when I did genetics, 
I was so attracted to it because the way I was taught it was textbook, very logical, clear cut, uh, very yeah. very clear cut, yeah. and I didn't like biochemistry because yeah. it was or proteomics because yeah. it was just so complicated. Yeah, life cycles and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and as we've moved along, what mm. all I'm hearing you say is that mm. genomics is so complicated; mm. it mm. isn't that clear yeah. cut, yeah. and it reminds me of some sociological work that I've been reading about decentering the technology. So rather than thinking about a technology and about the ethical issues that are related to it, we need to decenter it and look behind. So deal with the patient and, and taking a more holistic approach and then seeing how the technology can work for you yeah, within yeah. that. Absolutely. And that was what first appealed to me about the specialty of clinical genetics, which is a really small specialty that will probably disappear as it's sort of as as it's as subsumed into medicine at large. But exactly like you, Gabby, I came from the laboratory thinking it's all about translating these genetic findings to patients so that they can have screening, treatment, etc., etc. And then I realised that it, the decisions around when it's right to be tested and who wants to be tested, how it might be communicated in a family, how we might find out things that we weren't expecting, they were the interesting things. That was the sort of the, the stories that really fascinated me and how and helping people to make sense of that complex terrain. That was the interesting bit, but I think you're absolutely right that when we're trying to talk about genetics in headlines, in media articles, it's so tempting to go for the nice clear cut, this is what technology can now provide you with. But I think it's really important to shine a light on the bits behind that or around the black box is the other analogy I've sometimes used that you know the technology is all being focused on getting this black box sorted. And then we need to pay much more attention to the bits around it. How can we, how can we really take meaningful consent from people? Um, how do we ensure that when we do find a genetic risk, other people are appropriately alerted, etc. If you had to pick one message for people to take away from this podcast, what would it be? That genetics, like many other things in life, is complex and that context is so important. We must look at the context of a genetic variation and back to my analogy at the beginning that the word deer will mean different things in different contexts and we need to look at the sentence around the word to be able to make sense of it and it's exactly the same with a genetic variant you need to look at the code around it but also the environment in which it arises. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Centre for Personalised Medicine podcast. If you'd like to find out more about personalised medicine and its promises and challenges please visit the Centre for Personalised Medicine website cpm.well.ox.ac.uk